0: Hi, I'm coming to you from RealPyramidText.com. My name's Maria. Today, I'd like to talk about the ancients. And how we read the ancient texts. What if reality isn't what we think? And what if what we need to do is go back and see what the ancients said? What if what moderns perceive as reality isn't what ancient people saw? Wait a second. Wasn't the stuff the ancients talked about myth? Well, what if our job is not to fit ancients to our understanding, but to imagine their world, and to take them seriously and not to view what they say as myth? And what if we need to try to understand the things they say from their own point of view? Because the ancient world was talking about literally another world. We know that the ancients drew pictures of gods in caves, like at Lascaux and other places. Why did they get such an idea to draw gods? Can we chalk all that up to myth when so many carvings exist? There are still today many debates about where we came from, but what I want to talk about today are things that many of the debates ignore because those debates ignore the other reality. What the ancients said about the other world. Depending on how you see things, you might decide in advance, well, it's a coincidence about those cave drawings of beings, or that the Ancients were indeed telling fanciful myths rather than um, recounting real events. See, we're taught to view these things as myth. But what if we give the Ancients a chance, and then If we do that, what do we find in ancient texts? I want to show you, over a series of episodes, that even if to a modern self the events seem very far away and unreal, that marvelously many ancient texts have congruence with each other, and that be those texts Vedic or Sumerian or Egyptian or Hebrew scripture, that the ancients know that another world exists alongside this one. You might ask, well, why then, if that's the case, can't I see this other world? Well, consider that perhaps because of cosmological changes, the other world was more visible to them than to us. Did the ancients have a valid point? Have we lost an understanding uh, with the starting of our modern mindset? consider that ancient theories might be based upon some possible truth. And that a problem in reading these texts is going to be, well, how are we going to be able to find out what they represent? Um, So what we found at realpyramidtext.com through many examples, is that different ancient texts have many themes in common. And that we can take ancient writers seriously and that no matter where we look, be the text Greek or Egyptian or be it Hebrew scripture, that all of the ancients are telling of massive changes and that they are talking about the other world. Hopefully, as time goes on, I can talk about why this was missed and why uh, the congruence in ancient texts has been overlooked. But first, for my starting premise, I want to suggest to you that the realms discussed in ancient texts aren't myth, and that in many examples the texts are telling of another realm, and that they're discussing actual events, and that these events are congruent in many texts, Um, be they Egyptian Vedic, Sumerian car tablets. Same as with those carvings all over the world, um, in the caves, like at Lasco, um, can all the congruences be a coincidence? Factually, in ancient times, the term myth was not a term used for invented stories, but met histories of events passed mouth from mouth. We agree with that. So let's look at some examples, though, and see some of these Um, points, some of these places where the different texts are talking about the same events. In Vedic Hindu texts, we find apes burning down Lanka. And in the Rig Veda, we find an army of apes. The Vedas mention Sugriva, the leader of that army of monkeys who helped Rama acquire Sita, the land south. Which scripture understands to be Eden. Oftentimes, in texts, for example, the Rigveda, um, names of personages um, can represent constructs of things. But we can relate this concept of apes and monkeys, uh, led by Sugriva, to the Egyptian ape. The Egyptian spells also talk about baboons. In fact, uh, the Egyptian spells are full of apes uh, who acquire new bodies. Well, how is that? Well, in Sumerian Car tablet four, the Anuna apes cry to their gods make us body from those two make us bodies from them and and they're referring to Adam and Eve. Uh, the same thing we'll find in the Egyptian hieroglyphs when the spells tell of baboons and when it, and when they talk about apes acquiring new bodies from those two. The Mayan Mesoamerican also has a deity shock that can be compared to the Vedic ape Hanuman. Hanuman the Vedic ape being the one who per uh, the Vedic text destroyed Eden when he dove into its belly to acquire So there are many examples such as this, and I've given a little bit, but I hope over time I can go into more detail. But let's look at another example. In the book of Job, it talks about the monster Leviathan. Uh, Many think it was some crocodile, (laughs) Um, but actually the monster represents the construct of the world tree. Um, For example, his scales are so perfect, they lock into each other. And no arrow can pass through them. See, it's not that hard to conceive of a Buckminster Fuller geodesic dome here being described. And that's not very far away from Plato when he relates uh, that concept to gemstones at line 110 of the Phaedo. Um, There he's talking about um, 12-piece leather balls where the facets may be qualities of the Elysian fields, the home of those watcher gods that the Egyptian hieroglyphs referred to as the Akeru gods. Plato's texts are filled with sacred geometry, and his descriptions of these uh, leather balls um, seems very congruent with what the Book of Job says. But the point is, you can see between the texts uh, when he talks about the Elysian fields having a dome over them likely resulting in a different atmosphere. And then scripture, which talks about, right? uh, A dragon sitteth over the waters. Um, Egyptian spells talk about these things too, telling about how a second sky got made after Eden fell and how that sky hovers above Eden, right? Which is what I use the term world tree. Sumerian tablets talk about that too, about how Marduk established all of the reality we see around us and which uh, we call physics and the solar system. So all of these different um, texts have um, points like this where we have been able to draw connections. Ancient Greece too, um, not just the example um, of the leather balls but, for example, Aristotle and others write of Pelagians who were up to seven feet tall, possibly the same types um, that you may have read about um, that were in Troy and the Iliad and the Odyssey, and also similar to the king of Og in Hebrew Scripture who had a bed that was eight and a half feet long, 2.5 meters, who Moses defeated. We can also remember the Philistine giant Goliath, who, with a sling and stone, uh, is defeated by David. See, Genesis Genesis 6 tells of giants, and it describes them as a mixed type, containing Eden aspects acquired after the fall and other aspects of the other Elohims being half-related to the Watchers, right? And so getting aspects from both realms. In the Hebrew uh, book of Numbers 3, Apparently, these giants devour everything and cause problems among the Israelites. These same giants were what the Greeks called demigods and are described by Plato um, in his text, The Timaeus, when he talks about Atlantis and how it got destroyed. Plato says that apparently there was a problem with the giants. Um, they, They were defective somehow and they had to be destroyed. Enoch also tells that the giants devoured everything and even devoured men. We also have physical evidences of of things that the modern mindset doesn't know what to do with and can't quite explain. For example, we have the Baalbek stone, a large ancient stone block at the stone quarry of Baalbek in ancient Heliopolis in Lebanon. That stone was made for the temple built for the god Jupiter close to Plato's time. Modern engineers cannot explain how the stone was moved. They have no modern technology for a stone like that. They would need many, many bulldozers to move it. Yet the ancients, who often moderns moderns think are backwards, or perhaps simpletons or somehow primitive, they could move it. See, oftentimes science wants to have views about the ancient world and say, and say things about it, um, and they make claims about how long this world has been here. Yet, uh, the ancient texts aren't talking about this world; they're talking about another world. See, and so, um, the ancient texts all tell about how the sky and stars, has, uh, sky and stars, have very much changed. What happens is, is that philosophies and religions today may not want to see the congruence. Either they don't see it or they just don't want to see the congruences. And so they don't, you know, oftentimes that connection, for example, the Vedic Indra is Saturn, who was jealous, is exactly the same as described in Ezekiel, where is discussed the image of jealousy. Such that when Adam fell, in the Vedics we see this as that he was humiliated by Rama, And in the same Vedic text we see that his brother woke and and his brother waking represents as i said a construct here um, that solar plane hovering above eden the world tree um, which the Vedic texts refer to when it talks about a thousand elephants see all the religions the ancient religions are related uh, to those watchers on these points but the modern mind oftentimes um, wants to take these things as myth and doesn't want to see the connections between these different ancient religions. But we have to ask, well, why did all those separate sources tell of similar events in another world and of a war among the gods and of opposing realms? Uh, were they merely superstition? Was uh, was it merely superstition? Um, or was it that the modern self... Uh, just understands concepts so differently than the ancient world did, and now is reduced to only seeing reality by the five senses. See, but what if reality is a lot more interesting than that? What if reality is so much more than the five senses? You know? Now, here, though, we come into a very complicated problem of how those texts have been read and understood and why Uh, the connections and the congruence between these texts has not been understood. Because the context that we can discuss more over time is that the ancient texts describe a war between realms. In the case of the Egyptian hieroglyphs, um, the hieroglyphs describe Saturn's realm on against gods. The Vedic texts describe the same. But the point is not simply to deny the possibility uh, that these are talking about, um, uh, a related context because it causes discomfort and not just to discount the possibility that another realm is being discussed because it causes discomfort. And also we don't want to then project into the hieroglyphs some other meaning, do we? Um, other than what the ancients actually talk about, uh, but that is what the modern mindset has done quite a lot when it's translated. These texts is attempted to project upon the hieroglyphs, um, its own understandings of what they may be saying. So there are problems here, though, because of that, because of how the tra- the hieroglyphs were translated, such that the context, whether a glyph was talking of, of Saturn's realm own, or whether it was talking about Eden's realm uh, became obscured and and when that happened it meant that the war between the realms also becomes obscured and starts to appear mythological and takes on the color of a kind of flowery poetry and so the context goes missing then um, and there's different things that cause that for example the reading order of the glyphs was inverted so unlike the case for example Um, like many ancient languages, for example, ancient Hebrew, the reading order is right to left. Yet, why is it that the hieroglyphs are often translated left to right? Even in the more famous, uh, you know, considered to be uh, the canonical translations, the standard ones. Um, But this problem of the word order means that the context of the glyphs got garbled and made it unclear what they referred to, which realm, are they talking about own or are they talking about Eden's realm? See, but when um, the hieroglyphs are read right to left, as you can find on RealPyramidText.com, suddenly we can read read of the things that I've been talking about. These examples of the war against Eden, and of the apes wanting to acquire bodies, and of their acquiring of Uh, Eden aspects after the fall to make their own type of beings from. See, the glyphs show these things, the huge cosmological changes that occurred. The same ones described in Vedic texts where many of Eden's aspects were transferred over to their own constructs, stealing upon Eden and mimicking her at every step. And the watcher gods who did this being the same ones that scripture calls uh, fallen angels, who who in the Egyptian hieroglyphs we can see vampiring upon Eden uh, to create what the Egyptian spells call Second Sky. I said before that ancient texts all talk about these opposed realms. Right? These two opposed realms. And of course the realms think differently and understand um archetypes in a very different way for example a hieroglyphs can be read in verse why because they're spells sorcery words and because they're pictographic and they describe another reality and they describe by the way these egyptian spells in hundreds of glyphs the very nature of the opposed realm but since previous translations didn't take that into account and were reading the lines left to right they miss the point of the realms that the hieroglyphs describe now a reader then reading those translations in that position misses these things uh, and misses that the terms became flattened and filled in with other meanings see and then loses the point that the ancients were trying to say to the modern mindset it would seem that the realm that, that realm, outside of our direct awareness, the other world, left or never happened. It's just myth, you see. But what if that realm is still there outside of us? And the problem is that the world of the five senses simply cannot see it, being a very coarse, um, material uh, way of sensing and perceiving. And what if the way of reading a text, of translating can affect what we understand. Because while our souls think, while our souls think using subconscious pictures, compare the Egyptian, Phoenician, Hebrew alphabets, for example, the ancient letter Aleph that we think of as an abstract thing, began as a picture of an ox, and over time that became the letter A. And so while our soul thinks that way, um, the material five senses don't understand that way, you see. And these ancient languages are written that way. Uh, And they, uh, that is how the soul can read and understand them. They're subconscious pictures that are being referred to there. Um, This happens also, for example, when you dream at night, Um, the five senses cannot see uh, any of what you're looking at, right? Those pictures. Or even if you just talk about ordinary things, you also think in pictures. For example, if you're talking about going to the garden to plant a tree for your parents, right? There are archetypes there, right? Like the garden, your parents' house, um, the tree that you're going to plant. Archetypes aren't inert. They can have a positive or negative uh, context, and those archetypes can play upon us. In other words, that they can depending on the context that they give, uh, they can uh, create a certain understanding of things, a reality. So consider that, that because we're used to the five senses, that we're often trained to think in logical causal causal structures having to do with those five senses. And that that other way of thinking in pictures that the soul has uh, over time got ignored. That when the modern mindset started, That other way of seeing things and thinking in pictures was abandoned, right? And we were steered away from that. So we're influenced by many types of subconscious pictures. And texts themselves have a slant, okay? And that's the thing. Um, If someone reading one of those texts doesn't understand and is sensitive to, to what the slant is of that text. What is its context? See, because pictures always represent archetypes according to a point of view, right? And subconscious pictures and archetypes are not neutral. And the hieroglyphs aren't neutral. And neither are any of the ancient texts. And so the job then of translating is to see, well, what is the context Um And it's the same, for example, those words I said, like house or parents or authority or childhood, that words have subconscious meaning and have a context. That's the nature of an archetype, right? And these are the things that ancient texts are referring to because um, archetypes are a concept part of the dimensional realm of the other world that is all around us. And we don't rule those archetypes. The realms do. Uh, Remember that, for example, the example I gave of dreaming, when you dream, you you don't rule um, how that dream will play out, but that dream um, has a context. So the five senses can't understand what is a spiritual nature and only understands material things. It's it's a device. It's only capable of viewing a term, for example, reality, um, as being of this visible world. And the visible world for the body is all there is because the body is completely blind to spiritual reality and can only reason through its five senses. Uh, So, for example, you know, you can compare this to different devices. For instance, a toaster can make toast bread, but it can't play music like an iPod can. Um, So if you were to, um, well... um, put in a, I don't know, like an old-fashioned one where you had to put in a disc and then the iPod would recognize and read the disc. Well, if you were to put that into the toaster, the toaster would burn it. The toaster wouldn't know what to do, you see? Does that mean that the disc was... um, Does that mean that somehow, because the toaster couldn't um, understand that disc, that what was on it wasn't actually there? No. You see? Um, because, for instance, the iPod was devised to do certain things and a toaster another and a vacuum cleaner another. And so the physical body is like that. It's been devised, but it can only reason by the five senses. It's very limited and it's blind in the same way. It can only see what it's what it's been made to do. Um, so the outside realm is still there but the body is unaware of it and only has its modern consciousness of those five senses. And while in that state of blindness going only by causal reasoning, if someone is reading that way, where everything they read, they're only relating to from a kind of causal reasoning, then what a text says can be mangled because the modern consciousness will always try to make it fit to the things that exist here in the material world. And it will rebrand every concept and transfer everything to its own worldview upon this material earth. It would be something like being inside of a snow globe uh, where whatever's outside the glass dome is just invisible and can't be seen. See, and that in a sense you could say we can relate to the way in which society can guide um, uh, people in a certain direction because... Literally, uh, by the way you understand archetypes and images, um, you can stepwise adapt the pictures and themes to a certain kind of thinking and then lead people to think that, uh, that those are the meanings. You see, you can steer a kind of a context. And so and such that that context that the modern mind has would be the type that would be able to say to itself, oh, well, the ancients seem primitive or crazy. When in fact, the ancients aren't primitive or crazy, and in fact, they told true things. It's just that we're trained to believe um, in the modern culture, certain things are the only reality, and that the only things that are reality are the things that that modern culture says our reality. And we're constantly being fed images by that reality of what we're supposed to be focusing on, such that we get trained to think that whatever the ancients believed in was a myth, and we get trained to interpret images and text according to that point of view. It would be something like if we were trained to always be eating junk food until finally we didn't even like something nice uh, and fresh and Organic that came from a a neighborhood, right? Market. See, because um, the mindset of this world that the body has can't understand um, a realm. See, but in that case, then all those millions of ancients and the stones of Baalbek and of Giza start to appear childish and undeveloped. And That's part of the reason why, up till now, no real effort was made to find out what they say. See, and that's why the translations that are around haven't helped. Because instead, they have functioned at hiding what the glyphs mean and steering us to view uh, every meaning in a different way. And it's not only hieroglyphs. Other texts also have this problem, and even scripture. some scripture translations have this problem. And so this is why the attempt at realpyramidtext.com has been to translate again the ancient texts and take them seriously and try to find out what they actually say rather than to glue meanings upon them by filling and rebranding them, right, with concepts that will fit the modern mindset. See, what I've been talking about, uh, the modern mindset, is is that it's a construct we live under, under that is based upon a kind of constant refilling of concepts uh, through sorcery words. Think about that. By its very definition, an archetype is a picture, not the real thing, but a copy. A copy of reality that's been altered already, and that copy may seem very real yet be a mimic-reduced reality compared to what the ancients saw. It's sort of like getting used to eating a hamburger instead of steak. And so every language, like I said, began in a pictographic form, using glyphs and symbols to show what things are. By the same token, images can be used to suggest a thought line and to steer a certain point of view. By shaping one's belief about what the images mean. See? Uh, We came to live on an earth which obeys a rather bulky, primitive type of biological life that's quite different from all the qualities that souls had and will have again in the Eden Garden. And these archetypes in the modern use are all always pointing to that bulky, primitive life and trying to reinforce that world that we live in and make it seem that the only one there is is this mimic one such that we forget about any other understanding of terms. The same way that now we've mostly forgotten that the letter A represents an ox. Archetypes have been modernized to fit the modern context and have been tailor-made to constantly reinforce um, that modern mindset on us. And so when reading text, this problem also happens, such that translators in the past have ignored the nuances of a text and transferred every meaning into their own mindset. And this is why, until now, the hieroglyphs and other texts weren't translated properly. See? So when reading text, this problem happens... And it's why until now, the hieroglyphs and other texts were not um, were intentionally many times mistranslated. But it then becomes interesting to wonder why we bother with studying all these so-called outer space things, uh, you know, planets. Why do people get so focused on NASA? which in Hebrew means to beguile. When, as we are learning now in our ongoing translations, is that the watchers describe in those texts how they made the solar plane we live in now um, on top of the other realm in order to constantly deceive us by the inverse realm such that we would constantly... um, uh, view that inverse realm as reality. The hieroglyphs are constantly repeating that backward speech is beautiful um, and reinforcing constantly the lie that the other realm is a myth and that this inverse realm we live in now is reality so that the Adamite soul will know these things not. Thank you for listening. I'm Maria of RealPyramidText.com